Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. It was January 1st, New Year's Day, 2009, that Oscar Grant was shot and killed by a BART police officer. This was the first time a police killing caught on cell phone video went viral. And since then, there have been countless other videos of police shootings and violent incidents that many of us have seen. And each time, we say something's gotta give. Yet here we are again more than a decade after Oscar Grant. You know, I think that it's really on every member of the public because there isn't another entity that you can really depend on. There have been so many more names that have become well-known across the country, and some of them are from here in California. Oscar Grant, Mario Woods, Stefan Clark, and so many more. Public outrage and public pressure has helped create some policy changes, but none of them have been enough. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. I think the moments that we've seen in California and the Bay Area over the past decade 
where, you know, a, a police officer has killed an African-American man generally um, and that has generated some outrage. I think that they each did either contribute or precipitate small incremental changes. But I think that each time this happens, um, the public, people, have a, a legitimate cry to say this needs to change in a more drastic way and more quickly. And that, I would say, uh, has not happened. Alex Emsley reports on criminal justice for KQED, and we asked him to talk us through three high-profile police shootings in California and how the protests in response to those shootings moved the needle at least a little bit on policing, starting with Oscar Grant, who was killed on January 1st, 2009 at Oakland's Fruitvale BART station. Officer Johannes Messerly shot and killed Grant, while another officer, Anthony Peroni, held Grant down. It's captured on cell phone video from a few different angles um, from, from the BART train. And so you see this thing, and it's like, this, this to my rational and reasonable brain does not seem like there was a threat here that would, that would uh, necessitate this force. So after this video is made public, how quickly do people respond? The sort of public reaction to what people saw in this video um, the killing of Oscar Grant, there was a large, you know, uprising, civil unrest, protests occurring um, largely in Oakland right after, right after the shooting. No justice, no peace, no justice, no Why it's a little hard to say, you know, it was exactly like this, is this continued to play out over the course of a year. Um, and at different stages, there was also uprising, including after the conviction of um, Johannes Meserly, um, because he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and it would and, and given, you know, a, a fairly short uh, couple of year sentence. Josh Richmond, you are in Oakland right now where there is a demonstration. What is the reaction out there? Well, there are a lot of angry people out here, Belva. We had several hours of very peaceful, uh, uh, heartfelt demonstration down in Frank Ogawa Plaza near City Hall. But that ended around 6, and not too long after that, a big column of protesters uh, took over the intersection at 14th and Broadway. You know, that was seen as, okay, we went through this whole process. You almost never see criminal charges uh, uh, for of an officer for an on-duty shooting went through it and then the protest movement saw it as even through this process that they were trying to trust as sort of a slap on the wrist. This was um, or could have been in a way a moment of reckoning for particularly the state of California to make some significant substantial changes to say, what can we do to prevent this from happening in terms of policy changes? And also what can we do if it happens to ensure that there is an appropriate and just kind of response and outcome? I don't want to overgeneralize. I mean, there were, there were significant changes within the BART Police Department. I think that there was somewhat of a reckoning within law enforcement as a profession. But in terms of tangible outcomes, you know, we didn't see a slew of, of, of laws passed that would change, say, the standard for, for police using force. We didn't see widespread policy changes across other departments. I, I feel like it was seen as this was a one-off. This was an unfortunate incident. And frankly, as um, Meserly in some ways in his defense successfully argued, a tragic mistake. 
A couple of years later, in 2012, Trayvon Martin was killed in Florida. The following year, the neighborhood watchman who shot him, George Zimmerman, was acquitted, and the Black Lives Matter movement was born. The year after that, Eric Gardner was killed by police in New York, and Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson. And the movement gathered momentum. San Francisco uh, city leaders, the police department, did take a, a sort of an approach to that movement of this is awful in other parts of the country. This is not a problem that we really have in San Francisco. We've handled this. We are um, a progressive police department in San Francisco with different kinds of values. And, you know, this is this is not here. And then in uh, December of 2015, there is bystander video captured of the shooting of Mario Woods by five police officers um, who all fire at once. Five officers shot Mario Woods 21 times. A lawsuit between the city and Woods' family was eventually settled, but no officers were charged for the shooting. Alex says this was a moment when the city of San Francisco could no longer deny the reality of this kind of police violence in the city. I mean, San Francisco had to immediately change its tune. There was significant outrage on the part of people, you know, in, in, in not just the public, which I think is really important, but also people in, in, in positions of power who said this cannot be allowed to happen again. And, you know, eventually this leads to, um, you know, the removal of police chief Greg Sir. Um, it leads to a uh, federal oversight and reform movement within the SFPD. It's very difficult to overstate how big of an impact that particular incident and then compiled by others that happened um, over the next few months really shook up and did change the, the San Francisco Police Department, changed its leadership and would eventually change some of its policies around when officers can fire, uh, under what circumstances and how they're trained. There are so many other instances of police violence in the Bay Area and across the state through the years. But one other incident in 2018 that got a lot of attention was the death of Stefan Clark. Sacramento police officers had chased Clark into his grandmother's backyard after responding to a 911 call about broken car windows. Two officers eventually shot Clark eight times, and body cam footage shows that the officers could have thought that he had a gun. There's another, um, you know, really kind of a moment with a lot of gravity in that body camera footage if you watch it. And when the officer walks by the object, one of the officers who fired his gun and he walks by the object that they, you know, had shouted out was a gun and it's a cell phone. And you can kind of hear his reaction to that. Um, because I think, you know, I mean, I'm speculating a little bit here, but I think it's not too far of a reach to think that that officer knew that what had just happened and that he, what he had just participated in was, the killing of an unarmed black man on video in Sacramento, California in 2018. And by this time, families of other black men shot by police are protesting in Sacramento as well. What was the response in Sacramento? What was the, what was the response by lawmakers? 
sort of directly following the Stefan Clark shooting, um, the California legislature and then the governor signs Senate Bill 1421, sometimes referred to as the Right to Know Act. And it gives the public through the California Public Records Act, the ability to request and then eventually hopefully see internal investigations into police, uh, deadly use of force, as well as some narrow categories of misconduct. And you notice that I don't say this gave us a complete window into police internal affairs investigations. It's actually very narrow. We only get to see a very small slice of the pie of how police departments investigate their own officers when something happens. However, it's a heck of a lot more than we've seen in California for 40 years. That's how long that that information has been, you know, completely locked down away from public view. I think that there's a perspective um, within, you know, a certain certain perspective in, w- by some people in law enforcement, which is that this is a complicated area. There is law and police training and professionalization involved and that the public is basically not equipped to understand. You'll hear, you'll hear um, you know, oftentimes like police union leaders say stuff like, uh, you know, no use of force looks pretty, M- meaning, you know, this is always going to be, there's always going to be sort of a, a reaction, a judgment from people who aren't experts in this field. And that that sentiment has carried a lot of weight for a really long time, and I don't think it carries a whole lot of weight anymore. I think the public is absolutely screaming that we are equipped to handle serious information and to make um, um, you know, reasonable conclusions out of it. Alex, before we started recording, you told me that when it comes to pushing for really big police reforms— change that holds police accountable throughout the state, throughout the country, that there's no adult in the room. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you meant? You know, I stand by the statement that there is no adult in the room because the entities that have the power to enforce accountability, they are various. It goes from a police agency itself to a local district attorney to civilian oversight bodies of, of some major police departments to, you know, state, uh, the State Department of Justice, the State Attorney General's office, to the federal um, U.S. Department of Justice and U.S. Attorney. These are all entities, and we could probably rattle off a few more, who have the ability to step in and enforce accountability when something is wrong. Um, but there, there is no consistency on how often they may. And in large part, and this is true in California, but I expect across the United States as well, police departments are a local matter, you know? And so what happens with that is you get wide variation in how, you know, sort of thorough um, police, how thoroughly uh, um, these kinds of incidents are investigated um, in terms of training and policy, um, wide variation. Now, there are some state standards at play, but you know, it's almost like whack-a-mole in terms of whether a position of authority over a police department will show up and actually um, demand that something change. Um, And it it happens, frankly, in my view, very rarely. So you ask who's doing it right now? The public.
I think that that's really the only consistent voice in the room who is screaming at this point and has been at other points in our recent history for some time for something to change. You know, I think that it's really on every member of the public because there isn't another entity that um, you can really depend on to take this issue seriously and to hold police departments accountable. Alex, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Devin. On the next episode, we're going to dig deeper into why police departments are still so resistant to big change. KQED's Suki Lewis has been going through years of records that have never been seen by the public before. So on Friday, we'll tell you how police departments operate in secrecy and why that makes it hard to hold them accountable. Alex Emsley is a criminal justice editor and reporter for KQED. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, who is also out there this week helping KQED cover the protests in Oakland, and also our editor, Alan Montecilio. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. 